grace, mercy, and peace are yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My brothers, my sisters in Christ. Every yes to one thing is a no to something else. A friend of mine recently told me a joke that is hardly a joke because it's just too true. When you are in college, you can say yes to getting good grades and staying on top of your coursework. You can say yes to having a vibrant social life. Or you can say yes to getting a full eight hours of sleep, but you can't say yes to all three. You got to say no to at least one of those things, right? Your boss barges into your office and asks you to come in on your day off to work an overtime shift. You can say yes, but at the same time, you are saying no to taking your kids to see that movie that day or to relaxing and spending time recovering on that day. Every yes that you say is a no to something else. And it's not a big deal when it doesn't feel that hard to say no to some things, but it creates for us inconvenience, stress, frustration, resistance, when it's something that we feel guilty saying no to. If you say yes to that overtime shift, you will feel bad probably. It will tear at your heartstrings that you can't spend the time you planned on with your kids. If you say no to going out with your friends again instead of studying and hitting the books, you might feel bad. You might get FOMO, as they call it, the fear of missing out because they'll be having a good time, but you'll be stuck in your room reading books. And so if you don't have a good handle on your priorities, on your why, on your reason, on your goals, then you might just end up saying yes to the next thing. If you are in college, but you don't care that much about getting the grades, getting the degree, then when your friends barge in and say, hey, you want to go have a couple beers, you'll probably fold pretty quick, won't you? If money doesn't really matter to you, you're doing okay, and you'd rather spend time to you with your kids because that's your priority, when your boss asks you to come in for another shift, it's not really a decision, is it? No, I won't, right? When you have a firm grasp on your why, that's what guides us saying yes to the right things, right? Here in our lesson from Luke, we see what Jesus was willing to suffer, the inconveniences he was willing to go through because he, more than anyone else, had a firm grip on his why, on his reason, on his priority, because you are Jesus' priority. Jesus is traveling through a Samaritan village. If that word sounds familiar, Samaritan, maybe you've heard of the Good Samaritan, the story that Jesus told about a Samaritan gentleman who helps out a Jewish gentleman who's about to die. The Samaritan saves his life. And at the time that Jesus shared this story, it was scandalous because nothing like that ever happened. Samaritans did not hang out with Jews, and Jews did not hang out with Samaritans. There was a great deal of animosity between the two. You can call it racism, you can call it stereotyping, you can call it prejudice, but this was Capulets and Montagues. This was worse than a sports rivalry. They hated each other for the most basic of reasons. 
So Jesus comes into town, and the Samaritans would have been all too happy to put him up with a place to stay until they hear where he's going. You're going to Jerusalem, that Israelite town, that Jewish town, that town full of racists and bigots? No. No prophet who's going to Jerusalem is welcome in this village. You can go take a hike, Jesus. You can sleep under the stars for all we care. What disrespect, right? And what an inconvenience to Jesus. He's got to go and travel all the way to the next village to find a place to sleep. So James and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples, they see this happen, and they are furious, rightly so. We can understand why. They say to Jesus, Jesus, can we just call down some fire and punish these people for the way that they're treating you and to us? That seems a little extreme, wouldn't you say? But James and John are showing that they know their Old Testament. They have read the stories of Elijah and other prophets traveling from town to town and what happened when people openly disrespected God's prophets in the Old Testament. They often had to pay for it, often with their lives. And they know how precious and how important and how magnificent Jesus is. They know that he deserves better than this. Just a couple verses before this lesson, Peter, James, and John were present for Jesus' transfiguration. When Jesus ascended a little bit and they peeled back his glory so that they could see him for who he is, the divine Savior that he is. So they knew exactly who Jesus was. They knew exactly that he deserved better than this. And I have to think that they kind of took it personally, too. I sure would have. If I were a disciple of Christ walking around with him and I watched as somebody said, no, nah, Jesus, go take a hike. You can stay wherever you want, but you can't stay here. I would have drawn the same conclusion, wouldn't you, wouldn't you have? But Jesus deserves better than this, and by association, we deserve better than this. But maybe sometimes we forget. Maybe James and John forgot what they said yes to when they became Jesus' disciples and what they were saying no to at the same time. A man and a woman stand before God's altar in a church, before a pastor, and they promise that they will love each other for the rest of their lives until death do they part. And it's wonderful and it's beautiful. They're saying yes to marriage with each other. But then one to three to five to seven years go by and sometime, and they start having those discussions, let's say, where there's not an easy solution, there's not an easy answer, then those discussions turn into arguments, obvious differences of opinion, and neither one is willing to reconcile. And so eventually they start saying to themselves, you know, when I got married, I expected it to be the moment my life got better, not worse. This is not what I signed up for. Then a couple of years later, they're sitting before a lawyer filing for a divorce. And they will tell people that they fell out of love. They fell out of priority is what happened. They didn't realize that when they were saying yes to marriage on their wedding day, they were saying no at the same time to self-gratification, 
When they took their vows, they were saying no to always getting their own way. They were saying no to always being right, always being the winner of an argument. And they learned all too late that every yes is also a no to something else. A brand new teacher, fresh out of college, is so excited to change young minds and to and to improve people's lives. And so she's putting all her effort into her, into her lesson plan. She's coming up with these amazing activities that you'd have to be stupid not to walk away from having learned something. And it goes that way for about one to three years. Because the blanket disrespect from her class, no matter how hard she's trying to help them, the confusion and ignorance of the parents about what her role is as a teacher weighs on her. And maybe seven, ten years later, she's saying to herself, I don't know if this teaching thing is for me. Maybe she didn't realize that when she said yes to the teaching profession, what she was saying no to, she was saying no to being rewarded, to being recognized, for saying no even to always have people appreciate the work that she puts in. In a couple minutes, brothers and sisters, when we pray the prayer of the church, we're going to recall the words of Martin Luther when he explained the Apostles' Creed. And he says, and he teaches us to say, that we cannot, by our own thinking or choosing, believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit is the one who calls us into faith, enlightens us with the gospel, sanctifies and keeps us. You did not make the decision for Christ. You did not stand up and say, yes, I will be Jesus' disciple. Jesus kind of made that decision for you as he called you and won you with his gospel. But as followers of Jesus Christ, as his disciples, you have the opportunity daily to say yes to Jesus. But what are you at that same time saying no to? That's why Jesus seems to be attacking these people at the end of the lesson, right? Jesus seems to totally turn a new leaf and become cold with these people. One person comes up to Jesus and he says, I will follow you to the ends of the earth, Jesus. You name it and I'll go. And Jesus says to him, really? Did you catch what just happened at that Samaritan village? Did you see how the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head right now? Even a fox has a den to go to. Even a bird has a nest to go home to. But the Son of Man, the Messiah, God in the flesh, people keep rejecting him. So if you want to be my disciple, you better get ready for some major inconveniences, he's saying to the man. And then even crazier, a guy, uh, he walks up to a guy and he says, be my disciple, come preach the kingdom of God. And the person says, I will, Jesus, sure, but first... My dad just died. Let me go bury my father. Perfectly reasonable social obligation, right? But Jesus' answer hits us like a, a ton of bricks. Let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus says anyone who puts their hand to a plow and looks back is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. What is Jesus getting at? That he will not be satisfied occupying any place in our hearts other than first. 
Jesus will take second place to nothing in our lives, not even the very real, the very reasonable social obligations that we may have. And when Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, comes knocking, and when he says, follow me, and our answer is, sure, but first, we might as well be saying no. Think of it. Those of you who are married, as you took your wedding vows, do you, long, do you vow to love this person as long as you both shall live? What if you said, yeah, but first I gotta fill in the blank? That would not fly, would it? You would see the look on your new bride or new husband's face turn sour and angry. They might call the whole wedding off because a, a yeah, but is as good as a no, isn't it? So when we daily have the opportunity to say yes to following Jesus, if we are to say, Jesus, I'm going to be your disciple today, I'm going to do what you ask me to, but first let me take care of anything else, no matter how reasonable it seems, we might as well be saying no. Because when you say yes to Jesus and being his disciple, you are saying no to convenience you are saying no to always being liked. You are saying no to getting along with a world that disagrees with God's word. You're saying no to so many things. We just don't always realize it, do we? So if you don't have a handle on your why, those decisions will be very hard. How could Jesus endure such resistance from the Samaritan. If I were Jesus in that situation and all I wanted was a place to stay and the Samaritan said, no, go take a hike, I would be thrown into an existential crisis. I would have such a hard time not taking that deeply personally. So how come Jesus doesn't? Even when the, his disciples want to call down fire and destroy these people for their disrespect and we think that they would be justified in doing so, Jesus says, no, forget it. We're just going to the next place. Because Jesus had bigger things on his mind. Jesus had more important things on his heart. He was resolute in his mission to get to Jerusalem. Nothing was going to stop him from doing what he had to do. From doing what he came to do. Brothers and sisters, what kept Jesus on, on his path? What kept him from being discouraged? What helped him through even when people openly disrespected him, invited conflict? What kept him on his path was remembering and keeping before his own mind his holy mission of forgiving all of your sins, of winning eternal life to give to you as a free gift. Nothing was going to stop him from doing that. No sass from a Samaritan, no conflict from an enemy, not even sleeping under the stars in the open elements was going to deter Jesus from saving you. And I love how Luke begins this lesson. What time was drawing near? What time frame was in Jesus' head as he was doing this? He was thinking about his ascension. Kind of an odd choice, maybe not where I would have gone first. But what that means is, Jesus was not just thinking about going to the cross, 
and dying and bleeding and suffering. He was not just thinking about the tomb that he would be laid in after he died. He was not just thinking about his resurrection from the dead. He was thinking about that moment when it was all done, when it was time for him to go back into heaven and hand the baton to his disciples. Jesus was sure that he was going to accomplish his mission. There was never any question. Jesus was not thinking, ah, we'll go to Jerusalem, we'll do this cross thing, and then we'll kind of play it by ear. We'll see how it pans out. No, from the get-go, from the moment that Jesus was born, what occupied his mind was mission accomplished. He had a promise to keep, a promise spoken in the third chapter of Genesis, thousands of years before you were even born, and he was going to keep it. Promise to be your savior to be your security, to be the Lord of your life. And kept it, he did. There's a man named Dan. And Dan was born into a wealthy family. Dan set his sights on a high goal. He wanted to become a Navy SEAL. So he enrolled himself in the, in the training program, which, as you may be aware, is pretty rigorous. He made it about halfway through, and he flunked. They threw him out. They said, you don't have what it takes. Sorry, Dan. Go find something else to do. But being a little bit of a privileged child growing up, he was used to getting his way. And so he wanted really bad to be a Navy SEAL. So he went back into the training program. And he made it, I don't know, about halfway again and flunked out. And maybe in Dan's mind, two 50% equal 100% because over the next couple years, Dan heavily implied that he was a Navy SEAL, even though a little bit of investigation revealed that he, in fact, was not. But Dan wanted to cash in on a glory he did not earn. Dan wanted to enjoy the accolades of accomplishing something he did not accomplish. He was not up to snuff. He did not have what it takes. And that's okay, but don't tell everyone that you do, right? Maybe you hear what Jesus demands of his disciples, and you say to yourself, I don't think I have what it takes. I don't think I do such a good job putting Jesus first. I don't think I can be a disciple of Jesus. But realize, brothers and sisters, what has already been accomplished for you. There's no test you have to pass. There's no training program you have to complete. Jesus has done it all. He has stamped disciple on your papers. He has made you part of God's family. You are a disciple of Christ. He has made it happen. And there's nothing you have to earn or do to achieve victory because remember, the victory has already been won on the cross. That's guaranteed. And nothing's going to take that away from you. Not even a little bit of inconvenience. Do you give up some time on a Sunday morning? Not even that uncomfortable feeling when you share your faith with someone where you haven't really talked about religion before and now you're really wondering how they're going to respond and they're taking a long time to say anything and you start to feel more and more awkward. That feeling does not negate your victory in Jesus Christ. Nothing that you suffer uh, for the sake of Jesus' name will take away his victory. In fact, 
That's you saying yes to Christ and at the same time saying no to something else. Be it comfort, be it convenience, be it always being right, you name it. The chance to show the world that Jesus is our priority is the chance to show his glory through us. You already win. You are already forgiven. You are already a disciple of Christ. But we daily have the opportunity to say yes to putting Jesus first in our hearts and in our lives. Because he was the one who put us first. First. So, disciples of Christ, you know that Jesus is always worth it. Think of how many things you pour time and money and energy into not knowing if it's going to pan out. You say yes to that overtime shift with your boss, not knowing if the money's going to help you all that much, not knowing if your boss is even going to notice how hard of a worker you are. Or you say yes to that party with your friends, not realizing that in 10 years, you're not even going to remember their names. We put a lot of effort in, into saying yes to a lot of things that, if you just think about it, don't really pan out. But with Jesus, it always does, doesn't it? Jesus is always worth the effort because the, the earnings are guaranteed. Your victory in Christ is a guarantee. Your glory, your forgiveness, your security in Christ is always a guarantee. You can bet on Jesus. You can say yes to Jesus. It will always be worth it to put Jesus first. Amen.